Eileen, thank you very much. You brought some memories back there. I remember when I was nine months pregnant with my first child, having to climb up on a double-decker bus because I could only sit upstairs. I'd forgotten about that. I focused on living in post-apartheid South Africa. Frankly, I'm excited by the opportunities this era opens up for Christians. Even in this very place, 40 years ago, when my husband and I were looking for a church in this area and visited here, well, let's just say I didn't want a recurrence of an event where, while on holiday in another city, the pastor asked me, please, not to visit this church again because there was a colored church in that same suburb. But here, now, in post-apartheid South Africa, we can gather together. We even meet and have tea together in the Connect Church. I've never been particularly interested in what the government is or isn't doing or what various political parties are saying. But what has always interested me is how the Church of God, the family of God, were responding. Were we standing in the gap when ungodly laws were being passed? What were we doing? Did we stop to ask ourselves and the authorities answering that question? Did we see in Acts the disciples asking, should we obey man rather than God? To be able to love one another as Christ tells us to, we have to accept one another. But to accept one another, there is the need to understand one another. Here, now, in the first apartheid South Africa, we at least have an opportunity for this. The divide and rule concept was so perfectly implemented that unless one was particularly adventurous or rebellious, it was just easier for most of us to stay within our man-made locations, whether these were Lavender Hill or Constantia. Going to the doctor, we would expect him to ask for the symptoms so that he could establish the cause and finally make a diagnosis and then prescribe treatment. So, what would you describe as the symptoms which cause us to feel we are living in a sick South Africa? I would suggest that some of the symptoms of fear, guilt, violence, and crime. Maybe those are just a few of the obvious ones. So then, what may well be the cause? May I suggest that forced removals is part of the cause. There was the Group Areas Act, which Eileen referred to. People being moved into the Transkai. I mean, that's just become another province for us, hasn't it? into Mitchell's Plain, Alsea's River, Lavender Hill. All of these from people who were located in Cape Town, 
Hanover Street. I belong to a church in Shepherd Street of Hanover Street, and we were asked to move to Hanover Park. Still stayed Hanover, just different. Nearer home, people move from Constantia to any of these above. Not everybody was moved to Mitchell's Plain. There was Elsie's River, Haderfeld, Mannenberg, and of course, there was Rylands for the Indians. The result, unemployment, poverty, grief, and socially being torn apart. We have a sense of anger in our hearts as we see the destruction of buildings, trains, property, and we cannot, we dare not condone it, and it cannot be justified. But will you imagine with me now, please, a family in Hanover Street who have occupied that particular house for generations. Suddenly they are told to move to a new place, especially being created for them, Mitchell's Plain. But next door, they were being moved to Lavender Hill. And on the other side, they were being moved to somewhere else, which just seemed oceans away. But it was called separate but equal development. Now they had to take taxis or buses to get into town, to get to their work, leaving earlier and returning home later. Children needed to be taken to school or warmly wrapped in the winter so that they could go to a creche to be looked after. The bigger children became latchkey children, lonely because the children of the area had been moved away and they had no friends. So here we are today, facing similar situations that were in place 60 years ago, but now it is called land expropriation. Then it was called Force Removals or Group Areas Act, but it ended up then even as it is felt now with deep unhappiness and a sense of injustice, even anger. We're still in that home. This time we've moved from Hanover Street and we're in Hanover Park. The mother and father are sitting at the table, grieving the loss of their friends. This past finances now needing to meet the cost of transport and forced removal. Children saw their parents crying. They also felt alienated and lonely. But they were angry. They despised their parents for not standing up for their rights. And seeds of bitterness were sown. And seeds have a way of growing. The Bible talks about the root of bitterness. Seeds develop roots. Psychologists tell us that the basic needs people have are to feel safe and secure, to interact socially, and have a sense of being loved and belonging. And this boosts self-esteem, realizing your potential 
and with that comes productivity. But no longer could these people who are now in Hanover Park just pop next door for a cup of sugar if they ran out. No longer could they trust the people in their neighborhood whom they did not know. Their sense of security had been threatened. No longer did they feel as if they belonged. And the friction within was reflected even in the homes as children increased their rebellion and disrespect. The descendants of this people, these people are still miles away from their places of employment. We know just recently what a taxi strike meant or metro rail. Could this be contributing to the symptoms that we are now dealing with? What an amazing opportunity, though, for Christians to be creative, to put into the darkness the light, to shine like stars, as Paul encourages. Opportunities are given by a creator God who imparts to those who seek his creativity so that we can indeed be stars in the darkness. And we've seen this in our daily church. We've seen various ministries being blessed by God as people have stepped out in faith. They are the trying people, the life matters, the team 10, learn to earn, and several others. Forgive me if I have not mentioned your ministry. But the creative God was creative in drawing this art in post-apartheid South Africa. Eileen referred to this. There was the year or period when people were allowed to cross over. And fairer relatives were given the opportunity of getting identification and thereafter allowed to vote. Families were torn apart. Eileen explained that. Not always extended families only, but siblings within the family and permanent damage was done. And so the seeds of bitterness were watered. People of influence were asked to spy on their neighbors and were promised rewards if they could identify people who were contravening the Immorality Act. It wasn't only fair-skinned brown people who were wanting to cross over, believe it or not. There were black people who thought it would be possible to be colored. Can't imagine anybody being wanting to be called by that name, but they were. And the test for them was what they called the pencil test. They went to the office. I see some nodding. They went to the uh, affairs, whichever colored affairs, native affairs, whichever you like, and a pencil was put through their hair. If it got stuck, they couldn't be colored. In, in the past, my question in the body of Christ was, is there anybody interested in the souls of people? The churches were sending missionaries to the furthermost part of the earth in accordance with the scriptures. But somehow, the equivalent of Jerusalem and Judea was overlooked. What about Kailicha, Langa, Guguletu, 
and the Rylands estate, which has a very special place in my heart. There was no Bible school for me to study at after leaving school. And then, after our marriage, my husband and I applied to work at the Mission Hospital in South Africa, but were refused. I wonder if you can guess why. And now, in post-apartheid South Africa, how grateful I am to God for our short-term mission trips. Had my husband been alive today, we would no longer have to stop at every police station crossing from one province to another so that he could present his ID because he was a first-generation South African. His parents coming to find work in South Africa from India. Just by the way, um, when he was studying medicine, if it happened to be a white cadaver, and I promise you, the cadaver was dead. He still had to wait outside of the mortuary for his friends, his student colleagues, to come out and give him the notes of what transpired. The chances are that people of color have been shunned and ignored for so long that generally they wait to be noticed, to be treated. Calls have been made to be Generally, there are many working to bless those who serve them. Now, in post-apartheid society, we have the amazing opportunity of practicing this right here on home ground. Today, we have to be reminded in the pulpit to greet each other as we come to church. As Christians, we have more than enough hostility from the world outside. Could we transform Connect Church into a church where people are connected? Both to their God and to each other, seeing that we are all God, children of a holy God. The question, as we have looked at the snippet of the symptoms, the cause, the diagnosis, the question now obviously is is the treatment. And for that, we go to the Word of God. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. By this, by this, shall all men How relevant is this to the cause we look at? Peeping people feeling lost, losing their identity, building up a sense of community, Helping the lost to know that they are loved. Jesus went in search of the lost. How grateful we are that he found us. Are we prepared to follow his example and actually actively go in search of the lost? Scripture does give a slight warning. Do not be conformed to this world. And in treatment, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. South Africa, here come the Christians, watch out. <laughs>